to Living Out Loud, Storytelling for Social Change, the podcast where we come together as a community to share our stories and consider alternative perspectives on a wide range of topics. By sharing our stories, each and every one of us can help create the world we want to live in. Storytelling has the power to open minds, touch hearts, and inspire empathy and solidarity. It can move us to think and then act. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are those of the faculty, staff, and student guests of each episode, but do not necessarily represent the views of Merrimack College. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Living Out Loud, Storytelling for Social Change. I'm Michael Senoff, and today I'm here with Peter Rojas, Coordinator of Multicultural Initiatives and Co-Advisor of Fraternity and Sorority Life. And with November just a week away, I wanted to focus today on a topic I don't think gets covered a lot, and that's men's mental health. So we're going to be discussing it from a couple different angles, and I'm also hoping to offer some resources to any men out there listening or anybody that knows a guy that may be struggling with their mental health or struggling with these issues and just don't know where to go or don't know who to talk to. So um, according to Mental Health America, four times as men as women die by suicide in the U.S. and just in 2010 alone, 79% of suicides in the U.S. Um, were men. And this risk is even more increased when a male identifies as gay or bisexual. Um, and men are just less likely in general than women to uh, seek help. So uh, Peter, can you talk to us a little bit about this issue and a little bit about maybe your background on men's mental health? Oh, thanks for uh, inviting me in the conversation, Michael. I do, I do really appreciate the invite on this conversation. Um, so I think uh, this conversation comes more a little bit my own experiences uh, myself, but also what I've seen uh, being involved on certain organizations throughout college, but also uh, just the environment I've been around, especially being a, a Latino male. Um, and I think it's just a big issue in the sense where, especially coming from my my background, it's just it's a it's a thing you don't talk about, right? You don't you don't talk about your feelings. You don't talk about um, how to cope with certain things. And I think it's just a, a big issue when it comes to men is, is being vulnerable, right? And I think it's one of those things that it's a tough obstacle, although it may seem easier. And I know you kind of threw some stats out there where um, you kind of see that women are a little bit more vulnerable with talking about their feelings. And you kind of see that as a societal norm. With men, it's, you gotta, you gotta toughen up, you know, uh, be a man and, and grow up and kind of, you know, walk it off type of mentality. So that kind of does affect you know, the, the way I had to cope with it. Right. Um, and, and it's, and it's a, it's a big struggle, you know, and I think it's, how do we navigate and find the right ways to, uh, cope with those, those issues. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, following up on that, you know, with, with men's mental health, there's a lot of factors that come into that. And, you know, four times that that's that four times as many women or four times as many men die by suicide in the U S than women. That's a big number. And, this number comes from a lot of different factors, including social isolation, substance abuse, unemployment, uh, military-related trauma, we've seen PTSD, uh, genetic predisposition, and other mood disorders. Um, but I wanted to focus on that first one, social isolation. Uh, Peter, what does this mean when, when they're saying that, you know, social isolation is one of the, the major factors um, that cause men to, you know, be depressed or commit suicide? Yeah, so when, I mean, when it comes to social isolation, it's obviously making sure that, you know, when we talk about it, it's, it's realizing that, especially for men, it's just being just the lack of contact from people, right? Kind of just literally kind of how to explain social isolation. Um, and it differs, it differs from the fact of, of being lonely, I guess, or being alone for the fact that it's more of a long-term thing. Like if you're lonely, you, you can easily 
find a solution to that, right? I think with social isolation, it's just more like uh, a state of mind, right? And I think it's, you see it right now with the pandemic and, and the fact that a lot of people are kind of, you know, in their homes and, and not talking to anyone because, you know, you can't really go out there and, and be amongst your peers, right? And I think a lot of people kind of realize the past few months, or just this whole year in general, like how important it is to connect with people, right? And more of that physical contact, you know, face-to-face uh, and kind of isolating yourself uh, wherever you live or wherever you are, it, it's kind of makes a little bit bigger of a, a notice of what's going on. Uh, it, it's been a, I think that's just hits men a little bit more because you're already in that box of, hey, you know, it's not norm for you to talk about your feelings, not norm to to interact um, when you're feeling this type of way, but now you're putting a, a pandemic above the situation, it kind of makes a little bit more of an obstacle to overcome. And I think, you know, and we've been talking about it. And I know for me, like this past week, uh, I've, I've known someone that has committed suicide, right? And I think it's just uh, one of those things that this situation that's going on right now just probably increased that, that percentage of, of it happening, right? And it just goes back on the stigma of, of men not wanting to talk about their feelings or wanting to to reach out and ask for help, right? And I think it's just, you know, how do we continue to have these conversations and break these stigmas down uh, to ask for help, right? And I think that's really the key uh, of finding these solutions when we we talk about these issues. Um, yeah, and I know for me, you know, being a part of my own fraternity and luckily for me, you know, they've been actually a support system, but I know like, you know, we've been talk, we'll be talking about certain things. I know you kind of brought it up in terms of like athletes early in the, in the, in the conversation um, and other, other social groups, you know, do they create some sort of uh, more of that mask toxic masculinity aspect behind it? Uh, but there's ways to, to connect amongst the groups that you're in, you know? Yeah, definitely. And we'll talk more about athletes in a second, but I do kind of want to dig a little bit deeper into these ideas and, and, you know, you mentioned toxic masculinity and do you think toxic masculinity hurts men's mental health? Do you think this is working against um, men's mental health and why? I mean, I think, I think this is, this is obviously an obvious question, but uh, I'd, I'd want your answer. And I want to know, you know, why, why it is that men are more likely to be socially isolated and why, um, why they keep falling back into these ideas of, of toxic masculinity when it's clear that it does hurt mental health. I think it just goes back on this idea that, you know, and it starts at an early age where, it, you know, gender roles, right? And it's just like, you know, boys have to be tough. Boys have to be, you know, X, Y, Z, right? Um, and you kind of fall into these norms. The crazy part about it also too, is just like, then if you want to talk about, you know, females, women obviously play on that role also. And like, hey, you know, you know, guys shouldn't be hugging each other. Guys shouldn't be crying. Guys are, so it's like, it's twofold, right? So it's just more pressure to try to break out of that, right? Because there's expectations people have of you. Um, and it's just a norm to fall back on, on those social norms, right? And because uh, it's just a little bit harder to try to break that stigma if you don't have the right support system um, to support you, right? So if, if you have society telling you that you got to be a certain way, uh, and, and the moment you try to break away from that, you know, the automatic response is, well, then you're not being a guy, you know, you're not being this or that. Um, and it's just natural in the fact that it's, just, it's, it's hard to break out of that and, and not know what to do after. Um, so it's really just finding those individuals to help you out of those situations, but also have conversation. I know you and I were in this conversation 
you know, a few weeks ago with the transformation of masculinity. And I think the, pr the premise of most of that stuff was just, you know, how do, we bring, how do we bring awareness? How do we open these conversations up? How do we create a community where we don't necessarily judge each other, right? I think we just have the opportunity to be, feel vulnerable and, and be comfortable with one another. Um, and obviously the X variables are, of everything are just, you know, other factors in your life that may have affected you. Um, whether within, whether it's within family, whether it's other uh, aspects behind it, but I think building a foundation of having open conversation and bringing that awareness piece could can start to uplift men um, and provide more of a comfort for them to speak about how they feel, right? Yeah, definitely. I really like that. And especially, you know, the, this kind of fits in with the next piece, but um, with this whole tough guy mentality, especially, you know, you see, you see athletes and, um, you know, those are guys that aren't supposed to complain and, you know, they're just supposed to show up, rub some dirt on it. But, you know, there's a lot of athletes that suffer from mental illness and there's a lot of athletes that, you know, are identify as LGBTQ. And these are things that they kind of have to stay quiet about. And like, you're talking about, you know, not really express their emotions, not express their feelings, not express these things that are going on in their lives. Um, so just to bring up a couple people, Terry Bradshaw, former Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback, um, was known to suffer panic attacks after games and was diagnosed with clinical depression in the late 90s. Brandon Marshall, who was a wide receiver for the Miami Dolphins, was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and received therapy for emotional regulation um, quite often while he was um, still playing. Um, and this is, this is um, nothing new. Athletes can have mental illnesses. Um, but how, how Peter can they go about getting the help they need, especially when the, um, the culture and the environment is don't talk about it, don't bring it up, um, just kind of be tough and, and get over it. So, I mean, I think, I think the one thing that we all have to admit to one another is that everyone goes through, through something, right. And it's, it's how you cope with it. Right. Um, even going back on the athletes part, um, quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott, a few months ago, you know, he came out talking about how he was really depressed. You know, his brother, his brother had just passed away. Um, everything that's been going on with the pandemic and everything that's been going on with his career, you know, he just wasn't focused, right? Uh, and, and he publicly came out with it, right? And obviously that's, that's a heavy loaded thing to come out, especially, you know, you're part of uh, America's team, right? Um, and the backlash he got from some people in the media was, was crazy. And the fact that, you know, their initial thoughts were like, you shouldn't be talking about that. You need to be a leader. You need to show that you can, you can, you know, go through the emotions and whatnot. But, and then it was good to see that the support from his, his teammates were there. Right. And I think a lot of people were just, we're going to wonder how they were going to respond to that. Right. And I think that's just a big example of how your team or your friends or your peers can rally, rally behind you and actually see, you know, what a true, true leader looks like. Right. It's, it's not necessarily have to be, you know, standing on a, on a pedestal and, and, you know, flexing your chest and, and, and everything like that is just letting everyone know that you're just like them too. Right. We're, we're all, we're all going through the same struggle and it's just crazy how the culture still exists. Um, and I don't know, maybe this is, everyone's just different opinions about how to cope with certain things, but with this culture, especially in athletics or just in football in this, in this particular example, um, I think, the new essence of being a leader is just showing who you are at a foundational level, right? Um, I think that kind of 
better improves his opportunity to be a leader on that on that team. And I know other athletes, um, you know, praise him for that. Um, but that was just a perfect example of how like that 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 openness just kind of two ways people came about it, right? Um, so it kind of starts with that, and I think that's just a big example of how if you're able to be amongst your peers, um, you can start breaking that culture. Specifically, if we're talking about sports and whatnot, uh, just in general, like I said, it just goes back on the you know awareness piece and, and, and having those open, open conversations uh, and kind of just breaking those stigmas too. And that goes for everyone, you know. And I know we talk about this with gender roles, uh, it, with other aspects behind it, and it's just being more open that you know there are no gender roles per se, right? You know, everyone can do everything that they want. Everyone suffers through the same pains, and everyone can be happy and joyful and whatnot. And I think it's just bring more of that aspect behind it. Yeah, I really like that. And I think that that's a really important point. Um, but, you know, we, I see, it's good that a lot of the professional teams are starting to um, kind of set the example and be role models in terms of mental health and in terms of, um, I don't know, even the NBA doing like Black Lives Matter stuff. I think a lot of pro teams are starting to take stances on tough issues, which is really, 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 really good. But um, we're seeing these these issues start off in the lower le level competitive sports. So college, high school, I mean, even like peewee football to little league baseball. So what can what can these, you know, major athletic teams are doing great and, you know, the, the players are supporting each other. But what can maybe these more um, professional and even the the lower level competitive sports teams, um, how can they kind of destigmatize this toxic culture of silence and athletics? So I, I think one aspect is, is giving back to the community um, and, and being a part of the community around you. I know if we're, if we're going to talk about sports, you know, they're super involved with the community, whether it's, you know, if we're going to say baseball or, or football, they they have their their opportunities to interact with kids, you know, like baseball camps and football camps, and, and they're visibly there with with those up and coming athletes, you know, from Pee Wee to Little League and everything like that. And I think those are just where you open those conversations up, right? I kind of and kind of have those those opportunities to talk. And like kind of like I said, like some of the stuff comes from when you grow up, right? Um, what you see in the media and how it's portrayed and everything like that, but you know, these kids look up to these athletes, right? So if you have one of the individuals to create some sort of awareness piece of that, it kind of just kind of ingrains in your mind, right? And I think a lot of the stuff that when we grow up and a lot of things that we do struggle in, especially, you know, for myself, you know, a lot of stuff comes back from like, you know, how, how I was raised and how I viewed, you know, how to be a man based on the media or how I interacted with my own peers. Um, and then there was never a point where, it was like, you know, it's okay to, to show your emotions. It's okay. Like there was no figure there. Right. And I think that's just an opportunity to start those conversations and, and it's already there. The platform is there. Right. So I think it's, you know, continue those conversations and going from there. Um, I think obviously as, as you grow up and you get into your adolescent uh, period in your life, you know, it, it's just how your school's handling it. How do you, how can you be involved on at your school and campus, you know, focusing on, you know, the right individuals to be mentors, um, but also just, you know, figuring out what are the ways or outlets, you know, and I think for me, what helped me out is, you know, going to see someone to talk to talk about these issues, right? And I think it's, it's, it was good for me for the fact that like, it was someone neutral, it was someone I didn't know, right? It was an opportunity for me to just kind of be open and, 
not necessarily feel judged. And I think that's a, a lot of a lot of the situation too, when people do want to open up, is that fear of being judged. I mean, no one wants to be judged. No one, no one likes to, no one likes that feeling, right? Um, and I know you're just talking about the LGBTQ community amongst sports and especially like, you know, it's 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 more open and prominent now in other sports. Obviously, you know, football's a little bit more of those harder ones to, to dive into. Um, but you know, it's it started with someone and having those conversations and it and it it does create a a worse effect on your mental health when you don't have that opportunity to speak about it or, or even be open about it um, and not being authentic to yourself. Um, and I think, like I said, it just continues on with a step-by-step -step process uh, and continue. If you, and I think the problem too is that we just don't talk about it, right? We don't talk about mental health uh, as much as we should um, because a lot of people just have a, a fear of like what the repercussions are when I do, right? And I think going back on that Dak Prescott thing, like it's, I wouldn't, I didn't really think anyone really blast him on that and being like, you shouldn't be talking about your emotions, right? Especially, you know, in the time and age we are in today, but it happens, right? So I think that's just a, those added fears that you don't want to want to go through because it can backfire and you're just going to go into a deeper hole. And that's probably the place you don't want to go. Yeah, yeah. And, and adding to that, this was a point that I, you know, wasn't really planning on going off of, but, um, like I mentioned before with Brandon Marshall, you know, he went to therapy for emotional regulation. I think there needs to be a normalization of men going to therapy. And I think there needs to be more support of men seeking therapy because like, I don't know, I, I started going to therapy after my freshman year of college. And I remember after my first meeting, I think I texted my three best friends from home and told them like, Hey, just got done with my first therapy session. Like it was awesome. I remember they all texted me like so excited and were like, yes, like go you like, that's awesome. Amazing. And like, I remember being so happy about that because I had never really, or no one, no one had really, I never thought that they would support me like that. And even like when I was, you know, thinking about going to therapy, I didn't receive a lot of support. And, you know, it was a lot of like, well, you know, what else can we do? Or, you know, is there any other options? It's like, no, I like, I really want to actually like talk to a professional about this. And I think that's so important because that is oftentimes the best thing that you can do is talking to a professional who knows what they're talking about and knows what, you know, you're possibly going through and can help you. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and about therapy and men going to therapy? Yeah. So I think, I mean, my, my own personal experience, I think, you know, it was two things is, is a, like, like I said, no one likes to be judged, right? Everyone, I want to, everyone always has that fear, like, oh, what are they going to say about me? I think the other part, too, of it is, you know, most men are stubborn. You know, I'm stubborn also. And, you know, I, I didn't want to go because I was like, what are they going to tell me that I don't know already, right? Uh, and I think that's just one of the major obstacles. Too. No, one, no one wants to waste their time, right? But when you go in there, you know, it's, it's an opportunity just to kind of just open up. But then you kind of realize there's just, like, deeper issues that you probably put away uh, that has affected you, you know, in your current age and everything like that. So uh, I think it's, it's, I'm very pro go see therapy. Um, at first, if you would ask me that 10 years ago, I'd been like, uh, no, like that's, I mean, that's up to you whether you want to do that or not. But I think a lot of people need that individual um, to open up to. And, and I think the other thing too, a lot of people just um, don't realize it's not, sometimes you're not going to find the right person right away. Uh, and I think people get kind of shut off when that first interaction with their potential therapist doesn't go well, or there's just no, no vibe to it. Uh, and people kind of just like shut off and close. Right. Um, you got to realize that you might have to 
go in there and find a, a few different people to find the right person. It's kind of like the analogy I'll use is like buying a car. Like you go on a test drive, you may not like it, doesn't mean that you're not going to continue shopping, right? Um, you're going to go find the right car for you that fits your needs um, in every aspect, right? So it's kind of the same thing with therapies, just finding the right individual um, that's going to help you out through your journey. Obviously, the other part too is once you go see therapy, it's it's kind of like your physical health. Like you're not gonna go work out one day and then think that you're gonna lose 10 pounds the next day, right? It's a consistent thing that you need to do. Um, so the same thing with therapy, you know, I, I let people know my inner circle that end up going, it's like, listen, you gotta make sure it's consistent. Um, whether it's once a week or twice in the month, uh, you need to make sure that you have your outlet there. Now, are there other ways to cope with, with certain things with mental health? Absolutely, like you can try to find your ways of like meditating, go to yoga, go run, go for a walk. Um, I don't know, maybe go for a getaway and kind of just, you know, disconnect from the world and everything like that. Um, but I think the overall notion that I would put through is that you're not in this alone, right? I think it's, you know, we're, we're together and whoever is, whoever you're together is, um, that's something that you create, you know, when you do feel vulnerable and kind of like what you said, Michael, is the fact that like, I'm pretty sure if you if you would have opened up and like your friends would have been like, oh, okay, that's kind of weird. You kind of would have probably turned away from them. And be like, oh, are they really kind of my friends? You know, um, are they really to support me? Um, so you do find the right people there that support you through thick and thin. But I think overall, like it's it's going to work. And I know some other people might, might ask about, you know, medication and do I go down that path? Also, I mean, I think that's really up to the individual. And that's a conversation you have with your 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 doctor about that. Uh, I've known some people that. It, it works uh, and it also works with taking medication and, and going to see therapy and whatnot. I know for myself, I, I try to stay away from that because it, it just didn't work for me. Um, so my way of coping with it is going to see someone and just talk about it. Um, but yeah, there's different different solutions to it. Um, but I think it just starts off from what we've been talking about this whole time is just like, how do we, how do we break the stigma of just, you know, let's, let's be vulnerable about the conversation. Yeah, and I liked your point earlier about guys kind of thinking that they they like, you know, what what could they tell me that I don't already know? And it's not about that. Like you already know it, but it's just having another person, an outside perspective, being able to untangle all those wires in your head. And like there's a great picture, which it doesn't work for a podcast because I can't show it to you, but there's this great picture of what therapy looks like. And it's like a brain with a bunch of like different colored yarn tangled around it. And the therapist is sitting there untangling it. And that's really what it is, is that, yeah, you've got all this stuff going on in your brain and everything. And yeah, you can think about it and you know what's going on, but until you say it and you get it out there and you have someone listening to you, like that's when you can finally be understood. That's when you can finally, you know, receive closure or just get help and get solutions. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of guys are afraid of that, but it's not a scary thing. And um, oftentimes it's a lot better. Um, I want to get yeah. into a little bit about uh, drinking problems, um, especially with your work in the frats. They, you know, fraternities get a little bit of this stigma of, you know, being just a bunch of guys drinking. So um, one in five, but you know, the stats are there one in five men develop alcohol dependency during their lives. Um, and that is a pretty big number, um, working with the frats. Do you see this, um, turn towards alcohol dependency? Do you see, 
um, a trend or a theme of this? So, I mean, I worked in, I've, I mean, like I said, I've been in my fraternity for what, I mean, I've, I'm going to say my age right now for at least like 12, 13 years. Uh, I'm not going to put the exact number, keep you guessing. Um, so I worked at a national level with them. I worked in offices uh, throughout the United States and in different schools with returning sorority life. Um, I think the, the the first conversation is that I think college in general, you know, creates this this uh, notion of you know drinking and whatnot. Not necessarily it's you know returning sorority life is is the, the go getter there and kind of sets the tone. Like there's a, a small percentage of individuals within fraternity sorority life at, at each institution, right? Um, compared to the larger population. So I think it's just college in general um, creates that environment to drink. Uh, and, and partly because, you know, you're talking about a, a lot of 17 year old, 18 year olds, first time out of their homes, being independent, curious about a lot of things. And, and they kind of gravitate towards what's sometimes just readily available for them, right? And we're talking about alcohol here. Um, I think what does happen is that for a lot of people, when they get into college, life kind of punches them in the face, right? And this is their first time they're being challenged and academically, socially, in all facets, right? And it really just takes that one moment of having that one night where it's just like, oh, I'm kind of numb to the pain. I'm not thinking about what's going on in my life, right? So they find that as the automatic solution to coping with their stress, coping with their problems, right? Um, so I think what happens is that because, because you find that that immediate you know, solution and, and you start talking about social, social isolation, you start talking about not talking about the issues and, and kind of isolating yourself and not feeling vulnerable and not being able to talk, it's just a perfect storm for some of these stats, right? Um, I will say what Fraternity Server Life does provide is an opportunity for you to be part of a group of individuals that are going to be there for you and support you, right? I think my my experience has been that, you know, through college, yeah, I'm I'm open to a lot of these things, right? And the, but like I said, it's just college in general. But you know, having uh, like-minded men there to support me and have the opportunity to be vulnerable it has helped me out through my college career. It has helped a lot of individuals I've seen going through fraternity sorority life, right? And I think that's just one thing people don't realize is the benefits of being part of organization um, and just solely focus on what the media has portrayed, whether it's, you know, Animal House or Old School or Neighbors, you know, those type of movies kind of showcase uh, those aspects of the social norms of, of fraternity sorority life, you know, um, but no one really talks about the community that is built amongst the organizations, amongst the brotherhood, amongst the sisterhood. Uh, that are there to support one another. Um, but yeah, but I think, like I said, it just goes back that college is generally, you know, a hub for this, right? So I think it's just how do we break some of those stigmas at a, at a larger scale with institutions? Uh, and I think it helps out when you have a counseling center, it helps out when you have, you know, staff to have these conversations, it helps out when you have the right resources on campus to talk about this stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I know it's there. I know Typically, when I do admit that I'm in a fraternity, I get the quick, like, oh, you're a frat boy. You drink all the time. Um, but I, I necessarily didn't drink a lot in college. So, um, well, obviously, no one believes me when I say that. So, I, because obviously, I fall into that stigma of being in a fraternity. But, um, you know, it, it's good to be a part of these groups and, and kind of support one another. 
No, I agree. And I mean, that's a funny point that you make, but with those, you know, with that one in five number, it's hard for, you know, a student in college to not know someone, you know, if it's not them, it's hard for them not to know someone who isn't depending on alcohol. So I don't know, what are some resources or what, what would you say someone can do if, if their friend is struggling with, you know, alcohol dependency or they just drink way too much on the weekends? So I think one of the things is, is actually interesting that you brought up. So one thing that I'm trying to see, we can uh, funnel out this month, uh, especially, you know, we've been talking about how do we support Movember, right? Um, seeing if we create a workshop or a program where, you know, we we support one another, right? How, how do we see the signs? How do we, how do we acknowledge that, you know, hey, Michael, maybe today you drank a little bit too much, like what's going on and everything, kind of seeing the the red flags, right? And I think a lot of people, dismiss the red flags right um and think that's just the norm right i think it's sometimes you just have to take a step back um and kind of see what's really going on right and understanding your friends and understanding the people that are around you uh so i think we were we were thinking of creating a workshop of like reading the red flags you know how do we have that um as an opportunity to create resources for you as an individual for your peers to kind of see what's going on um and yeah and, and one one out of five is big and i think one out of five is big because we fall into that that mindset like oh it's normal you know what's 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 the difference right but i think a lot of people kind of dismiss that like oh maybe you know i've seen that individual probably have one drink but now today it's it's two tomorrow it's three the next day it's five you know what's going on right i don't think you're you're building the, your tolerance from some sort of like beer olympics you know what i mean obviously something's going on um and it's probably educating individuals about reading those those red flags right and I think that's that's a big feat because at the end of the day like you know I'm a staff member right I it's like I don't hang out with students like that you know like I don't know what goes on after you know our work hours or anything like that so it's kind of like our student leaders are just individuals themselves trying to figure out how to how to read those signs and and what do you do next right so you know you see those signs and you you figure out hey you know let's let's talk about counseling let's talk about maybe how we should cut that away what's going on right i see something's going on um and i see that a lot with my work so I, it's really for me with my students i try to get to my i get try to get to know my students as much as possible in the sense that i kind of want to know how you know what makes them tick so if i do one day you know see them kind of off you know it's like hey what's going on like is everything okay you know and, and a lot of the times most students will probably be like no nah, i'm okay but you know uh the fact that i am aware bring some some sort of comfort right and I, I think you you and i can attest to that is the fact that like it's nice for someone to care it's nice for someone to to see what's going on right and i think we get so lost on the you know the hectic life of college and and personal life that we kind of miss those opportunities to to be attentive to everyone's uh feelings and and how they're coping with things you know yeah absolutely so that's a good segue to this but um you know, you talked about the counseling centers and you talked about these other things, but specifically on campus for men looking for a place to go and find resources or find help, where, where do you recommend, where, where should they go? Um, well, I mean, I've been here at Merrimack for a year now, almost. Um, I know, like I said, I'm plugging in the counseling center because uh, that's just a, a good resource and, and opportunity for, if you're confidential aspects, you know what I mean? You can go in there and not fear of like, you know, everyone knowing my stuff or not. Um, I know Jim Howland and Nick um, through campus ministry have a conversation among men 
uh, where they go there and it's, it's an event every month that they have. And they just talk about, you know, issues that impact men uh, on their everyday life. Uh, I got to attend my first one um, this past semester. And we just talked about, you know, what was going on this summertime, especially with the George Floyd murder and talking about all the, the protests and talking about the pandemic, you know, and how did that make you feel, you know, emotionally um, and all those feelings, right? And I think that, that, was, that was a good experience for me to just go in there and listen to how students were, were thinking, how they were feeling. Um, and that's just a good platform, right? I think a, a good platform is just to have an opportunity to, to let your voice be heard, right? Uh, aside from that, I think it's just building a, a core group of friends um, that you can talk to, right? And have those opportunities to feel vulnerable and everything like that. I think my part as coordinator of multicultural initiatives and, and co-advisor to Fraternity Sorority Life um, is to support my students. And how do I support my students? And it's, it's having these opportunities to do a Movember and, and, and try to have these collaborations amongst different offices. So I know we're collaborating with Active Minds and they just did their suicide prevention walk uh, this past weekend, uh, which is definitely great. You know, that, that's another opportunity to bring awareness, but that's that's an opportunity for you to see that there's another group there that cares about these issues and has the information, has an opportunity to talk to. Talk to. Um, and also a big factor too, and like I said, and going back on like a ways to cope is, a lot of people like to work out, right? A lot of people like to go for walks, runs. Um, I myself stay away from that just because I'm just injured prone. So like I try not to do as much physical activities, um, but partnering up with the, the fitness center um, is good because we're gonna do a, a 60, 60 mile bike run on the stationary bikes um, to try to just talk more about the physical aspects behind coping with it, but also it's to commemorate the, the 60 men that die from suicide on a daily basis to um, but it's just finding different ways to, to figure it out. So I think, I think the journey is just, you know, how do we open this conversation up more? How do we, you yourself, figure out the ways you can cope with it, how to manage with it? Um, everyone has different ways of doing it. Um, but also it, it's just building that community um, and not feel ashamed of having these conversations and, and breaking away from these norms that it's been ingrained since we've been growing up and not only that, it's a two-way street with everyone, you know, and not having individuals around you saying like, hey, you know, you need to suck it up and, and be a man and kind of what you said, just um, walk it off type of thing. Um, so it, it, everyone's connected and in every shape, form, matter about this. Um, and it just continues on with just bringing the awareness piece, uh, which is very important. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it's, you know, destigmatization on both sides. I think it's normalization um, across the board. I think everyone's been socialized to believe that, you know, men got to be tough and men shouldn't show emotion. Men don't cry. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's just shown through the media. That's shown through our society. And it's something that we all got to work hard to break out of. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think that's awesome. Um, I want to thank you, Peter, for talking with me. As Peter mentioned, um, he's going to be having a bunch of Movember events uh, for November, raising awareness for men's health issues like prostate cancer, testicular cancer, and men's suicide awareness. Um, and yeah, so stay posted on that. There's going to be different events coming up this month. Um, what, both physical and over Zoom? What, what should people expect? 
So what we're doing, so we're going to have some social media campaigns. So we're partnering with Active Minds to spit out some facts um, twice a week about everything that you kind of mentioned. We're going to do a, a no shave November. So we're having some athletes and having some fraternity members partake in it. I will be partaking myself. Not that I can grow a beard perfectly like some people, but I'm still going to participate uh, and just express that journey through that. Um, we're going to have conversation among men through Zoom. So that's uh, date mid-November. And those conversations happen at, at nine o'clock. So it gives you time to kind of decompress from being on Zoom with classes all day. So you can take your time um, for a prime time event and conversation. Um, and then we're going to partner up with the fitness center to do that bike ride, uh, which is going to be on the weekend. I think we have two dates solidified. So, I mean, if there's people interested, we'll use that second date to kind of partake on that. And that will actually be broadcast live through IG. Uh, people are interested in seeing that part. But right now, those are those are immediate things. I know I'm trying to figure out if there's other offices that want to partner up uh, for the for the month. But I think it's a, a good opportunity. I think for me, it's very important to not only talk about men's health, but I think it's more on the of the mental health aspect behind it. Because um, we just got to plug it in, right? We got to plug it in in every shape, form, uh, and just be attentive to it, right? Um, and I think it starts here. Uh, I think it's starting to develop a new culture on campus, developing a new culture amongst yourselves, um, and having those conversations. And I, and I think it's it's working well uh, for the type of programming. I, I try to be intentional about it. Um, try to bring try to bring new things on campus but also it's it's you know it's, it's something that happens outside of college you know it's not like you know you read those stats and you're just like you know maybe you know only happens in college but like it, it's it goes far beyond that and I think it's making sure that this is the best time to have those conversations so once you graduate you know you don't feel like you're not capable to learn how to cope with these issues no absolutely yeah and preparing people for for the real world for professional life and you know, these, these issues don't go away after college and, you know, you can't just keep, keep repressing and suppressing them, but no, I'm super excited. I'm excited for November. Um, I'll be on one of the bikes, one of the weekends representing Austin scholars and the WGS department. So I'm super excited about that and all the other events. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Peter, for talking with me and, and yeah, having a conversation about these issues. No, I mean, thank you for, for inviting me. Thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to just chat. Um, about these issues and you know how do we go about it but super excited to see you know how this coming month comes up but also at the same time is just realizing that you know the conversation doesn't stop in november right so how do we continue on throughout the year and and throughout everyone's academic career at merrimack yeah absolutely i'm michael sanoff this has been living out loud everyone stay well and stay safe Got an idea for an episode or want to join our team? Email us at livingoutloud at merrimack.edu. Executive producers are Deborah Michaels and Tiffany Begensterns. Producers are Michael Senoff. Living Out Loud is made possible with the generous support of a Provost Innovation Grant and assistance from the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning.